Well, we're studying history, not a dry, dusty course of history, but it's his story. We've been looking at that over the last few weeks, and um, every story has a beginning. In fact, when you're two or three years old, how does it start? Once upon a time, and then the great story starts, right? Well, we're going to go all the way back to origins today. I want you to pull out your sermon notes, if you would. They're there in your worship folder. We're going to look at the life of a man that really history hinges upon. And we're going to find it in the Old Testament. We're not going all the way back to Adam and Eve because we've studied some of that uh, recently. But I want us to go back to this man and, and look at it. There's a simple secret that ties together the Old and the New Testament. And when you understand the secret, it makes the study of the Old Testament really sweet. Because, you know, you can get in there in the Old Testament sometimes and it just seems like, oh, it's some Old Testament laws for the Jewish people or it's so-and-so had so-and-so as a son and then they had a son and then they had, you know, and it goes through all of this and you think, wow, I don't get it. But tucked away in there are the stories of the lives of people and what we see in that is that God has so arranged those stories that they speak to us today. In fact, they are kind of a, an illustration or a type to us of, of what the Christian life really looks like. We see it especially in the first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses that he wrote. We see it in Joshua a lot and, and then also in some of the rest of the Old Testament, but especially in those books. And one of the coolest things to me that, that helps me to understand just how powerful the Holy Spirit is, is that he took everyday life, because these were real things that were lived out by real people, and he recorded them in such a way that they speak to us in our Christian walk today. Now, you've got to be a little careful with that. You don't want to just go crazy with every little detail. It's more the big picture of it. But we'll see it even in the life of the man that, that we're going to study today. Paul refers to the incidents in the history of Israel just exactly like this in 1 Corinthians 10, 11. He says, now these things which happened to our ancestors are illustrations of the way in which God works. And they were written down to be a warning to us who are the heirs of the ages which have gone before us. We've inherited what they've brought. Now, what's interesting about that, there's a lot of good things, there's a lot of bad things, right? We inherited what our fathers have done. And in Romans 15, 4, he says, for all these words which were written long ago are meant to teach us today that when we read in the scriptures of the endurance of men and of all the help that God gave them in those days, we may be encouraged to go on hoping in our own time. When you see how God worked, and you see the hope that that brings. We're encouraged, encouraged to hope today. Do you feel without hope today? You feel in despair today? This is going to be especially a, a good message for you. Now, all of us would like to have more faith, I think. We are here because we would like to have more faith. What better way to do it than by studying the best example of living faith and living by faith in all of the Old Testament. So we're going to look at the life of Abraham over the next few weeks. So let me just read to you what the prophet Isaiah said about Abraham. Listen to me, 
you who pursue righteousness, who seek the Lord, look to the rock from which you were hewn and from the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who gave birth to you in pain. When he was but one, I called him. Then I blessed him and multiplied him. In Abraham's life, we beautifully have portrayed to us by God how to live by faith. In tracing his story, we discover some of the deep secrets of God and what he has for us and how to live this life and transform us into people of faith. He's first introduced to us in the closing verses of, uh, of Genesis 11 and then Genesis 12. His name was originally Abram. And it gets changed later by God to Abraham. And there's a big significance in that. And we'll study that in the next couple of weeks. Uh, but we know from Stephen's sermon in the New Testament. Stephen was the one who was stoned to death. One of the great followers of Jesus. But he preached a sermon that got people so mad that they killed him. Hopefully my sermons are not that good. You know, but... Uh, I, I, he preached this amazing sermon and then they stoned him to death because of the sermon that he preached. But in that sermon, led by the Holy Spirit, he tells us that God's call came to Abraham when he was in Ur of the Chaldees. Ur, you are, name of a city. We used to think that it was probably kind of a backwards kind of place, but archaeologists have uncovered the city of Ur of the Chaldees. And it was this amazing cosmopolitan city all the way back in this day. And it had probably 200,000 inhabitants, had marketplaces and, and all kinds of things. It had, it, they worshiped the moon. So Abraham was probably uh, one who worshiped the moon goddess. And we see that. And Stephen declared that the God of glory appeared to Abraham there in Ur. And so Abraham came face to face with a command and a promise. It was a command to go and he was promised a land so I didn't put this in in your notes there because just didn't have enough room but I want you to look up on the screen or you can turn in your Bibles to um, Genesis eleven eighteen, and I just want to show you where we find Abraham okay I'll start off with a little bit of why maybe people start to read the Old Testament and then their eyes roll back and they decide they're not going to do that okay in verse 18 it says Peleg lived 30 years and became the father of Reu. And Peleg lived 209 years after he became the father of Reu and had other sons and daughters. The people were really long lived back in this day. And one of the things that happened is that God said, I'm allowing you to live too long and you get really evil. So I'm gonna shut it down. I'm gonna give you 120 years maximum. And nobody even really makes it to that anymore, right? But there's a, I think there's a couple of reasons, mostly because God shut it down, but also because we've contaminated the planet over time. Now that we're becoming more and more longer lived, you see those contamination kind of diseases coming upon us from things we eat, from cancer, from breathing the air, from all the different things. But back here, the earth was pretty pure, and, and they lived a long time. Verse 20, Reu lived 32 years and became the father of Serug. And Reu lived 207 years after he became the father of Sarag, and he had other sons and daughters. Sarag lived 30 years and became the father of Nahor. And Sarag lived 200 years after he became the father of Nahor. He had other sons and daughters. Really about the only thing you can get out of this, ladies, is some amazing Bible names for your children. <laughs> Little Sarag running around, you know. And Pegleg. No, it's Peleg. So... 
<laughs> so then let's see, verse 24, Nahor lived 29 years, became the father of Terah. And Nahor lived 119 years after he became the father of Terah. He had other sons and daughters. Terah lived 70 years, became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now these are the records of the generations. This is a really interesting verse here. These are the records of the generation. There's a word there in Hebrew, Toledo, Toledo. And and, and it means generations are a record. It's interesting because whenever you see that, if you were a, a Hebrew scholar, which I'm definitely not, you would know that this is God saying, hey, stop, something's getting ready to happen here. Because we see that word several times. All through this part of Genesis, you have all these, and so-and-so had so-and-so had a son, 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 you know, and, and they're kind of following this one line down through, as if they're looking for something. It's almost like the Bible is waiting for something. You can almost hear it's like, no, it's not this guy. No, it's not this one. No, it's not him. No, it's not her. You know, no, it's not. And, and as it goes down through, it's like the Bible is waiting for something, looking for something. And then all of a sudden this word, Toledo, will, will appear. The record of the generations. And they'll stop and freeze. They did, in, in, when they, God created man, he did this did that he stopped on this word and he, he talked about the creation of man when when he gave the lineage of Adam he stopped on that when he talked about Noah after the flood he stopped and said these are the record of the generations all the rest of the time it's just one after another after another so we get this sense that something big is coming if we understood what this is saying here something is going to stop here something new is getting ready to happen Verse 27, these are the records of the generations, the Toledo of Terah, or Terah. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran became the father of Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah, in the land of his birth, in Ur of the Chaldeans. Abram and Nahor took wives for themselves. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. The name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Sarai was barren. She had no child. So we see this stopping here, and it's like God's going, hey, there's something interesting getting ready to happen here. And what we begin to see is like this whole earth has been under the dominion of evil ever since the fall of Adam. God sought to clear it up at one time with Noah, but still, immediately right after that, here it comes back, and we fall back into all this evil. And so God... Through his mighty plan, he says, I'm waiting for the man whose heart is completely mine. I'm waiting and watching for him because I want to begin a new work. The children of Adam have been dominated by the forces of evil, the dominion of evil for long enough. And now I'm going to reclaim it. And the salvation story begins. And so we begin to see that. The story of God winning back humanity begins with Abraham. So verse 31, let's see what happens. Terah took Abram his son and Lot the son of Haran, or Haran, his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went out together from Ur of the Chaldeans in order to enter the land of Canaan. And they went as far as Haran, which is the name of another place, and settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Maybe named after his son because um, these guys were wealthy. 
They came out of Ur of the Chaldees. They probably had all kinds of, uh, of stuff going with them. I mean, this was a big deal that they left because they were bigwigs in Ur. And they go and they get to this little town and probably they're the ones that really are really making a difference in that town. But it, it's a sweet little place. It's on the way to Canaan. But what's interesting is they stopped there. They stopped. They didn't get all the way to Canaan. It's interesting because we don't have indicated anywhere in the Bible that God appeared to Abraham's father. It's really, it talks all the time, it says God appeared to Abraham. And it seems as if that as Abraham said, I've got to go, his father said, well, why don't we go together? But his father really wasn't totally committed to this this call that God had given And so he goes a little ways and he gets tired and he says, let's stop here. And they stop for many years in Haran. It's interesting because the word Haran means parched. And and even though I don't think this was, I think this was probably a beautiful little place that they stopped. It would be like one of the retirement towns you would want to go to, you know, back in that day if there was such a place. But it means parched because it's a halfway place. It's a place that didn't make it all the way to what God had promised. It's a place that I'm concerned and I feel like that probably the vast majority of believers in America are those that go to church where they end up. And it's a parched place. It's a halfway place. It's not all that God had in mind. It's kind of the idea of saying... You know, I want to go for God, but I'm not sure I really want to go too crazy, right? It's the parent who says, boy, I wish my son or daughter, you know, I'd really like to get them off drugs and stuff. I wish they would go with God, but I don't want them to go be a missionary somewhere and take my grandchildren off with them. They need to live right here at home, you know? It's that kind of feel. It's the feel that a lot of us, if we're really honest with ourselves, kind of have deep down in our hearts. It's kind of a a halfway place, and, and we, we see that when God's call comes, and this is what we're going to see with Abraham in just a second, and it, his call comes, and it's a powerful call, but it's not a call to, to just say, hey, I want you to bless me. It's not just a, a call of saying, hey, I, I think I'd kind of like to live a, a happier life, you know. It, it's not a call to say, God, I just... You know, I don't want you to mess with me much, but if you could really fix this wife of mine, right? If you could do something about this husband of mine, and then we could kind of live pretty much like we're living, but just, you know, take care of him permanently if you have to. No, and it's just like, God, you do whatever you need to do, right? But we're not really to this place where we're going, I'm all in. And when the call of God comes, what we're going to see with Abraham, it means only one thing, that you're all in. I hear people all the time, I hear even pastors, when they talk about the rich young man that came to Jesus all those years ago, and, and, and here's Jesus, and the rich young man comes, and he's been really moral and a really good guy, and it says Jesus looked at him and loved him. I mean, just seeing him, he was just one of those guys you couldn't help, but just, he was, you know, just one of those guys that everybody liked, and he, he was just a good person. And he said, what do I need to do to have eternal life? And Jesus looked right through to the very core of him. And he said, just one thing. 
sell everything you have, and come follow me. Now, I've heard people say, if he would have said, yes, I'll do it, Jesus would have probably said, no, you don't really have to do that. I just wanted to see if you were willing. I think that's ridiculous. I think Jesus meant it full out because what Jesus was saying is, as he looks into the heart of each one of us, there's only one thing you need to do. Give up everything and come follow me. I mean, give it all up. Give everything up. If you want to follow me, you give up mom and dad and brothers and sisters, sons and daughters. He says that in the scripture. Did you know that? You give them up. That doesn't mean that you don't love them and they're not close, but Jesus is so far ahead of that that if he calls you to go somewhere far away or he says to your son or daughter, hey, I need you to go to the other side of the planet for me, you gladly give them up to God. Because you love him and you trust him and you're all about his kingdom. That's a whole different thing than what most of us, most of us it's like, I'd like to live a little happier life. I I wish my life had a few less problems in it. I wish that I could have a little more financial blessing. And God's going, hey, this is not what the call is. And when we understand that, we see how this all begins to play out. I think every one of us this morning is living in one of three places. We're either living in Ur of the Chaldees, that's where you're just far from God, don't know anything much about God, haven't heard about God, don't care about God, worshiping other things, that's one place. Or there's Haran, which is kind of a halfway place. It's like, God, I want you to bless me. God, I want to be here. God, I want something a little different or a better marriage or or, or a little better life for my sons and daughters to kind of straighten up, which is a really parched place. Or there's Canaan, which is the promised land. I was telling Laura, I had some good friends and I was getting real discouraged because it seemed like they had been walking with God and then they just kind of like turned and went another way. And it's like, all of a sudden I realized they had been in Haran. They had been in that middle place. And I told her, I said, I was praying for them and it was almost like God's spirit just said to me and it made me almost just cry right in the moment. I told you in the Bible that the way to life is so very narrow. The way to destruction is broad. The way to life is narrow. Jesus spoke this and he said, and few there will be that find it. And I thought, wow, it's even narrower than I thought it was. And those of us that find it, it's because not because we're great, it's because we hear his call. See, I believe God's call was probably going out to all of these people. It was probably going out to Sarug, you know, and Pegleg, and all of them. You know, it's like going, hey, I'm calling, but only Abraham listened and obeyed. And I guess the the, the dream that I have is that all of us in this place this morning, every one of us in this room would be in among the few. Because it's still going to be just a few out of all of the world. But my fear sometimes and my concern is that for some, it might be just a few of us even in here. And that's, that's, that would be tragedy to me for you to come to community of faith and Miss the narrow way. And that's what we see in the life of Abraham. So it says, now the Lord said to Abraham, or Abram, 
Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house. Interesting right there. See, he didn't do all of that, right? He took them all with him. And that could be okay if they were full out. But then it says, to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. And make your name great. And that's where we like to just kind of stop in America, right? It's like, well, that sounds great. That's what I want, you know. Why don't you bless me and make my name great. Make my business amazing. He says, I will bless those who bless you. Oh, oh, and so you shall be a blessing, it says. And I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. We miss that part sometimes. I'm blessing you so that you will be a blessing. See, when we come to him and we say, I'm in, and we hear his call, and we're all in, he says, all I'm asking from you is everything. Give it all up. And we give it all up to him. And then as he calls for parts of it, we give it to him. Whatever he says, we give to him. Whatever he asks for, we give over to him. And then he blesses us again. And fills us back up and we give it over to him so that he can bless us. And so we can bless out and he can bless us and we can bless out. And that's how it was meant to work as we become channels for his kingdom. As we become channels to make a difference around us. In you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him and Lot went with him. Hebrews 11.8 tells us it was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. I mean, I, I, I want you to think about this for a minute. It wasn't like God said, hey, let me show you some brochures of, you know, the golf courses in the land of Canaan. They're really cool, you know. It, it was like, hey, I'm going to tell you where you're going. I'm going to show you where you're going I'll, I'll let you know when you get there now even if you could know it was God and he said hey I want you to leave Cyprus today and you know pack up and get in the car and you take off and I'll let you know when you get there are you gonna go I, I, that's that's the question because it just seems crazy in a sense right probably end up in the back hills of Kentucky or something I don't know you know hearing like deliverance music you know I don't know what, what, what's going to happen. I don't know what you're saying, God. Genesis 15, 5 and 6 says a little later, God took Abraham outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars. If you're able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Then Abraham believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. D.L. Moody, one of the great evangelists of some 150 years ago, he wrote, some say faith is the gift of God, but so is the air, but you have to breathe it. So is bread, but you have to eat it. So is water, but you have to drink it. Faith means taking God at his word and then leaving Ur for the promised land. The greatest adventure you'll ever know begins the moment you say yes to God's call. On your life. I think that's true. And yet I think that so few churchgoers in America ever really understand that. 
And, and the understanding that not only is God's call, this call to abandon it all, to, to leave it all, but, but that it's going gonna, it's gonna to mean difficulty. I mean, there weren't any buckies on the way to Canaan, you know. He didn't stop off there and, and, and find the nice bathrooms and stuff, you know. It, it, it wasn't there. It was a hardship. It was difficult. And we see, uh, we see Abraham fall on his face a lot. But you know what he did do? He became the father of faith. The one who demonstrates faith for us out of the Old Testament because he kept taking the steps. Not because every one of them looked magnificent. You see, sometimes we think that we have to be able to put on a walk of faith like a supermodel or something. You know how they do that cool walk? Like, check me out. I got faith. Faith doesn't look like that. Faith is taking one little faltering step in front of the other and saying, God, I don't see where this foot's going down, but I'm trusting that you're going to be there. God, I don't see where this one's going down. And then sometimes we'll get off the path and fall flat on our face. One of the things I love about community of faith is that when that happens, we pick each other up and dust each other off and go, come on, buddy, you can make it. Come on, girl, you can do this. We can do this together. Let's keep walking. Don't stop walking. Even when you're walking through hell, my dad always says, when you're walking through hell, keep walking, right? Don't stop. You don't want to sit down there. Keep taking that next little step. But when God calls for that, He's calling for everything that we are. And he blesses us so that we can be a blessing. I was reading something uh, the other day and it was talking about how, it it was a question. It said, would you, um, if you could, go back and trade places with like John Rockefeller who had billions of dollars back in the turn of the century, like in 1900. He said, would you do that if you're a middle-class American? And, he's, and then the guy goes on to write this whole article about how stupid that would be if you did it. Because um, he said things were so different back then. No air conditioning. No cars that could travel very far like we do now. No all the airplanes going everywhere and, and all the things that we can do. No, all of the, he said one, the president's son at that time died of an infection from a blister on his foot that he got playing tennis in the White House tennis courts because they didn't know how to treat it. He said you wouldn't trade it for the world. If you could go back and see what a billionaire had just in 1900, you would take your middle class life today. He said you're better off than a billionaire has ever been in the history of the world. No nation has ever been blessed like us. No nation has ever been blessed by God like us, but we've forgotten, and I feel like the judgment seems to be piling up now because we've forgotten that we were blessed to be a blessing. We weren't blessed to hoard it. We weren't blessed to hold it. We weren't blessed to to squeeze it down and say, just in case, you know, I'm scared. I'm going to make sure I got my little bit. He said, I have called you full out, and I want to bless the world through you. And I've seen that in so many of us here at Community of Faith. But I know it's still hard sometimes. We're holding on. 
And my prayer is that we'll be able to, to say, okay, I'm stepping in, I'm stepping in, I'm stepping in. You see, we've missed the point. We've missed the purpose. We've missed the call. We were just one of those in the list of names. They could have said, you know, Peleg, and then Sarug, and then Mark, and then, you know, going on down before it gets to Abraham because we missed it. We just, we're just one of those names in the list because we didn't get it. We didn't understand God's call. We didn't hear it. We weren't listening. We weren't stepping into it. I believe that God's calling every single one of you. In fact, in the Bible it says God isn't slow to come back like some count slowness. You say it's been a couple of thousand years. I don't think this is really going to wind down. I, don't, I, I think maybe the Bible was just speaking figuratively. He said, no, God, Jesus is coming back. And he's not slow about it, but he's patient because he wants all men and women to come to him and hear his call and turn their life over to him and give everything up for him. He doesn't want to leave anyone behind, and so he just keeps waiting and waiting as long as he can for you. I think that's an amazing thing. But a lot of us, we talked about it these last few weeks, we're still living our life like a little soap opera. The soap opera of Mark, you know? As Mark's world turns, sands through the hourglass, something like that. You know, and, and, and we look at that and it, it, it's just, it's too small. And you know it, you feel that. When I'm talking to you right now, you feel this pull, there's more. We're baptizing today. Do that from time to time and, you know, some of you, that's going to be your first right step is to step into baptism. You say, well, I was baptized as a baby. That's good. That's a good thing. That was your parents saying, I'm going to raise this child up in the church. That was the priest saying, but that's not you hearing God's call, is it? And so what the Bible teaches is that when you've heard God's call, Jesus said, the first thing I want you to do is be baptized. Jesus himself said that. He told us to go and preach and baptize. And you say, well, it doesn't make any sense. This little dipping underwater thing doesn't make sense. I didn't ask if it made sense. I mean, it doesn't make sense to Abraham to leave his country and go somewhere else either when everything's going fine there. But if God asks us to do it, so maybe the first thing we have to give up is our, our pride maybe? I don't know what it is. What would keep you from getting dipped under? Well, my hair would look terrible, you know? I don't know. What, what, what is it really? I mean, it's not that hard. What, what we do out there is the pastor will just raise his hand up. You're in the water with him, and the water's nice and warm. It's not freezing cold or anything because we like it comfortable in America, right? So we do that for you. But he'll raise his hand up. I raised my hand up, and I said to this one little boy not long ago, a little middle school boy, I baptize you, my, and he high-fived me because I had my hand up. <laughs> and I hugged him. And then I tried it again. I said, I baptized you, and he high-fived me again. And I go, you know, you're probably more right than I am. It's like high-fiving time, right? I baptize you, my little brother, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And because he seemed like such a rascal, I took him under and held him under there for about 15 minutes. No, I didn't. Let it make sure it took, right? No, here's the deal. You just go under the water and you come out because it's a word picture. It's Jesus' picture of saying, I died for you. 
and I rose for you and it's all about me. It's also a word picture to say your old life is gone. Your sins are washed away. Everything's new because you step into this thing on the cross with me. Jesus loves word pictures like we're talking about what he's done in the Old Testament. God loves those. Some of you, you came to a community of faith because you want your marriage to be better. I, that's valid. I, I, I'll go with that. But let me tell you, that's not what God has in mind only. It's a teeny, teeny part of it. See, marriage, too, is a word picture. The Bible says that marriage is a picture of how much God loves his church as the, love, as the husband loves the wife and gives himself up for her. Did you hear what it said, husbands? Give yourself up. All the time, every moment. And the wife loves back and is faithful to the husband. It's a word picture to the world that says God loves his church that much. God's got a plan and he's been moving and working in the midst of all of this. And so when we decide something different with our vows, it messes up the picture, doesn't it? See, God loves these word pictures and he wants us to live them out in front of the world. And one of them is baptism. So we've got clothes for you today if you haven't brought any. Well, hopefully you brought some. But, you know, if you don't have any clothes to get baptized in, we've got some shorts and a shirt for you that says, I've decided, and uh, you have, that you will have decided if you get in there and do that. So we'd love to baptize you right after the service today. I know you're thinking of all kinds of reasons why you can't do it right now, but I want you to stop and listen to God's call and just obey the next small right step I'm not going to tell you that God's not going to have you give up everything because I'm just telling you he is going to have you do that some time ago I was just thinking about that rich young man who came to Jesus and he walked away sad because he had so much and he couldn't give it up and I thought I wonder what that was like in his late years and I imagine an old man in his 80s sitting on a little park bench among these lavish gardens. And, and you know, it's all his. It's all inside of his compound. And he, he's got servants all over. He's got probably little grandkids, maybe even great-grandkids running around. Should be a sweet time. But if you look deep in his eyes, as he's kind of staring off into the distance... It looks like he's just thinking, if only, if only, what would that have been like to walk moment by moment with this Jesus, with this God of the universe? What would that experience have been? I missed it. Yeah, I've got all this, but what does this even mean? And how much longer do I have it? I almost, I almost, I almost walked with the God of the universe. I like how C.S. Lewis, after coming to Christ, he wrote some famous children's stories called the Chronicles of Narnia. You've probably heard of them, in which the central figure, Jesus Christ, is portrayed as a lion by the name of Aslan. And the last paragraph of the last book, I'll never forget reading it as a young man, says this, and as Aslan spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion but the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them and for us this is the end of all the stories 
And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their lives in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has ever read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. I want you to close your eyes with me for a minute. You were meant for so much more. You feel it and you know it. And it pulls at you. That's the call of God. What does that mean for you? It means you taking the next right step. I know you can't see where that step's going. And I'm telling you, I'm going to be honest with you. I'd be lying and I, I can't do that as your pastor. That next right step for many of you is going to cost you everything. But you're going to be walking with the Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to be like Peter walking on the water with him. It, I'm not saying the winds and the waves won't be crazy. I'm not saying that life's going to be easy. I'm promising you it won't be. But it was what you were meant for. This little soap opera life that you're living. This little drama filled thing that you're calling life. Or you have to almost create your own drama just to have enough. To have any sense of purpose. That's not meant for you. You were blessed to be a blessing you were called to reach out I'm going to pray over you and I'm going to ask that you would find that narrow way only a few are going to find it I want you to be one of them because I feel like God's leading us community of faith into something that we've never experienced before all of the amazing things we've seen all of the marriages that have been healed all of the the amazing life change that we've seen this is just this just a taste a little taste of what's coming. It's the great story.